Vikings of the Pandemic, Episode 3, Newfoundland, June 1005. As Roggenwald steered his ship, the Orcadian, toward the coast, he searched for the signs of the settlement. He knew it was on a headland close to the entrance to a large river. The ship's pilot, Theophine, had sailed to Vinland before with Leif the Lucky Erickson. He signaled when he spotted the headland, pointing to a wide bay protected by some islands. Roquefort dropped a sail, and the twelve oarsmen rowed the waves to a cleared area of the beach and landed the ship. The men leapt out and pulled the ship ashore. The camp of Leif the Lucky is located at the top of this hill, Theophin shouted as he ran ahead. The men followed Theophan, carrying their weapons and gear. They could see evidence of the Greenlanders' visit two summers ago from articles strewn along the path. A collection of five turf houses built into a hillside stood in a semicircle in the meadow at the top of the rise. Their wooden doors were closed and the chimney hole silent. There was an open area in front of the houses that had been used for cooking and drawing fish meat. It contained a stone cairn where a well had been dug. The news that two years before Leif Erikson had discovered a vast new land of trees and grapes had traveled quickly across the Nordic settlements. Roggenwald heard the news the following summer when he was on his annual voyage to Iceland. He regularly carried cargo and passengers to Iceland from his home in Orkney. And after hearing the news, he decided that in the spring he would travel further west in search of a commodity scarce in Orkney wood. He would hire a crew of 12 strong men, sail in the deepest cargo ship he could find, and bring back wood from this new land. Roggenwald was a man in a hurry. Unlike Leif Erikson, Roggenwald was not an explorer. He wanted to utilize the Greenlanders' camp before more Greenlanders arrived so that he could cut down and load as many trees as he could safely carry in his ship. There had been word in Bradahild, Eric the Red's homestead in Greenland, that his other sons were organizing a party to return to Leif's camp. After stopping briefly in Greenland, Roggenwald sailed north up the coast. As advised by those who had sailed to Vinland, turn west to the shoreline on the other side of the strait, then followed the current south. The Arcadian passed Halaland, barren and rocky, Markland, covered in forest, and then Vinland, where Leif made his base camp. He was glad to see the houses which meant that he would not have to spend precious time building shelters. He knew, though, that Markland was where he would find the large trees that he was looking for. Benland was covered with scrub trees and bushes, as far as he could tell. So far, the weather was in his favor, and he had seen several deep bays along the Markland coast where they could load the ship. Roggenwald entered the longest of the cool, damp houses, Noting the wooden doorposts and the roughly hewn beams supporting the roof, these were the building materials that Orkney needed. A fire pit ran down the middle of the floor, and six bed closets had been crudely constructed along the walls, three on each side of the fire pit. 
He made a fire and unpacked his gear while his companions dispersed into the other houses. The early summer evening was clear and there was still a few hours of life left. Roggenfeld felt a sense of accomplishment and relief having safely brought his ship and crew so far. Roggenfeld was the third son of John Mark, the fortress builder for the Earl of Orkney. His father held farmland in Chapinsay, an island located in the middle of Orkney's primary harbor. The fortress keeper's duty was to maintain the fortifications and signal towers that protected Orkney Islanders from attacks and violent storms. Roggenfeld spent his early years assisting his father building and repairing the stone walls, signal towers, and other fortifications located on mainland Orkney's largest island. As a way station for vessels sailing between Norway and the northern outposts that had been settled by Norwegians over the last hundreds of years, Orkney was visited by travelers from both the west and the east. Roggenfeld discovered his love of the sea at an early age, and he entered the carrying trade, bringing essential trade goods to island settlers from their homeland, Norway. He learned his seamanship skills on a Norwegian cargo ship that sailed out of western Norway to the Shetlands, the Hebrides, Dublin, and as far west as the Faroe Islands. He eventually acquired his own ship and expanded his trade to include Iceland and Greenland. Roggenfeld emerged from the turf longhouse to stretch his legs and take a look around the camp that would be their base for a few weeks. Several of the men had built a fire in the outdoor poop pit and were unloading the dried fish and other food goods from the ship. Some men had gone off to hunt for fish. Everyone was in great spirits. Roggenfeld would map out a plan for them tomorrow. But this evening they enjoyed the clear evening air and the smell and the sounds of the sea below them. The following day, with Theofan's guidance, Roggenfeld sailed the Acadian around the headline, headland, entering a wide river that separated Vinland from Markland. Pine and spruce trees were plentiful on the Markland side of the river. Roggenfeld and Harald the son of a shipbuilder from southern Norway who had settled on a farm on Chapinsea near the Wark homestead, got into a small skiff and rowed to shore. They marked the tall, straight pine trees that would easily be cut down using the axes and other equipment that they had brought with them. Some of the logs were to be split into thinner and shorter sections to be used for ship planking, ship's oars, or house interiors. The men responsible for cutting down the trees were made up of the strongest men, while skilled woodcutters and carvers, supervised by Harvard, cured the wood, making it ready for shipment. All the men would be loading the wood into the ship, supervised by Roggenfeld, once they had cut enough wood. Damage to the ship during loading had to be avoided at all costs, as this would mean that their crew would be stranded until and if the Greenlanders arrived. Roggenfeld's men set to work, sailing back to the base camp when the daylight began to fade. One evening, as the men sat around the camp, Theothan noticed a human shape, then another outlined against the sky at the furthest edge of the clearing. He stood and pointed towards the natives. 
the others following his gaze. Leif Erikson had not come in contact with natives, nor had he seen any evidence of humans living on the headlands, so this discovery was a surprise. The dark forms disappeared into the trees. Let us hope that we finish our task quickly before they come too curious about what we are doing here, said Roggenwald. Roggenwald had not anticipated this complication, but he felt it was best not to pursue the scralings, as time was of essence. It took them one month to sail to Greenland from Orkney and over a week to sail to Finland from Greenland. The weather, the currents, and the wind had been in their favor. Going back, they would have to sail against the prevailing wind. The ship would be loaded with a heavy cargo. This would make their journey home long, longer and more hazardous. Roggenwald wanted to be back in Orkney by the middle of the summer. We will have to post watches to protect our equipment and food supplies, but I do not want to spend time tracking these men who know the area much better than we do. Hopefully they are not aggressive, just curious, but we know that if we are, if they are, we are well able to defend ourselves. The men agreed with this plan and anticipated intensified their efforts to complete their task as quickly as possible. The following morning, back in Markland, Roggenwald was startled to hear one of the loggers scream, fill the air. Both Roggenwald and Haggard came running to the clearing and saw Hakon lying on the ground, blood coming out of a deep gash in his side. According to his mate, Hakon's axe had slipped and bounced off the tree, piercing his side. It lay on the ground next to him, covered in blood. The wound had cut through muscle, but upon inspection, it looked like it had missed the stomach. One of the loggers ripped off his shirt and wrapped it around the wound. Carefully, the men moved Hakon to the ship, then to the camp on a litter made out of some of the cut wood. Hagon lay for two days on a grass mat near the camp's fire, shivering and moaning in pain while the crew continued logging. He was covered in furs to keep him warm, and one of the men guarding the campsite applied more claws to the wood each day. Roggenwald wished that he had brought along his cousin Elizabeth, who was known for her skill in healing the wounded and the sick. She was an excellent sailor as well and had expressed a desire to come with him, but Roggenwald decided this, that strength was the primary criteria for selecting his crew. Hakon's skin, skin was beginning to turn pallid and clammy, and he took very little food or drink. The bleeding had stopped, but the wound was bright red and oozing pus. Roggenwald wondered if Hakon would be able to travel on the ship back to Greenland. They were ready to load the ship and would be leaving the camp for three or four days. They were eating dinner around the fire pit when out of the corner of his eye, Roggenwald saw an elderly woman and a man, both wrapped in blankets made of bark, merge from the woods and slowly approach the camp. They both carried leather pouches in front of them and with both hands, as if to show that they did not carry weapons. His eyes shifted to the horizon where they had spotted the scralings the previous evening, and three or four shapes were outlined there. Roggenwald stood up and faced the approaching couple. The men beside her 
him were tense, but he instructed them to hold back on showing their weapons. The woman looked into Roggenwald's face, then shifted her gaze to Hakon. Roggenwald turned toward the wounded man, turned back to the old woman, and indicated to her that she could approach him. She knelt by his side, the old man standing beside her, and slowly uncovered the wound. Hakon, who was too delirious to fully comprehend what was happening, cried out as the cloth which had stuck to the wound was removed. Roquefeld held Hakon down as the old woman inspected the wound. She pulled out some plants from her pouch and proceeded to make a poultice. She smeared a thick layer of fat on the wound before applying the poultice, securing it by using a strip of tree bark that she had tied around Hakon's waist. The couple remained at camp for three days. They accepted water, but ate their own food and slept sitting next to the fire. The man drew some totems from his pouch and spoke words in trance over Hakon. One day, he walked to the edge of the clearing, bringing back more of the medicinal plants that he got from the natives who were waiting there. On another day, he put some of the plants he had collected into a pipe and began smoking it. He offered the pipe to Roggenwald and to the other men. Hakon was responding quickly, and by the third day was sitting up and eating. The couple got up on the morning of the fourth day, preparing to leave. Roggenwald pointed to the medicinal plants that had caused Hakon's miraculous recovery. He wanted to know more about them and where they came from. He wanted to take some back to Orkney with him. The plants could be more valuable than all of the other goods he was trading put together. The old man pointed towards the woods and indicated that he should follow them. Are you sure you should do this? asked Hadron. The ship had been loaded in the past three days and the group was ready to leave the next day. Roggenwald had a knife hidden under his leather pants and shirt, but he did not believe he would need it. The natives were small in stature, and he felt he could overpower them if necessary. He was very curious about these plants, thinking that the medicine people he knew in Orkney would find good uses for them. I will signal from the edge of the clearing if I decided to go into the woods with them. If I am not back by noontime, follow my path and find me. And off he went. Party of six natives and Roggenfeld followed a forest trail to a stream that led to a bog. Here a woman was collecting a plant with small green leaves and another with a purple flower. The medicine woman wrapped some of these in a sheet of bark, adding a large bunch of another plant with thick green leaves and red berries to the bundle. She indicated that the berries came from further away, and she pointed north. All the plants were placed in the leather pouch that she gave to Roggenwald. Roggenwald smiled and bowed to the woman and to her companion, and one of the younger natives led him back to the clearing. The Arcadians caught a strong current that followed the shoreline southward and then out to the open sea. Roggenwald knew from his sun compass that they were far south of the Greenland fjords where they had planned to stop. As they sailed on, he knew that they were also south of Iceland. However, the current helped them move at a better pace than he had anticipated. 
Roberval was concerned that the ship, with its heavy load, would be swamped, but by having the men constantly rowing in shifts, the ship maintained a forward momentum. The leather was, weather was fine and no storm was seen on the horizon. He hoped that they would see land in three weeks. Roggenwald, tall and lean with dark hair and blue eyes, stood at the prow of the Orcadian as it entered Dublin Bay. Both Roggenwald and his ship were an impressive sight. They had completed a remarkable journey, and several of the seamen working on their moored ships called out to him as his crew guided the Orcadian to, to the end of the bay, asking them where they had been. There was a number of trading boats and longships moored to the river bank. July was the middle of the raiding and trading season for Norsemen. Many of these ships were being used to invade the coastal towns of England and Ireland for plunder. The Orcadian flew the standard of the Earl of Orkney, Earl Sigurd, who gave his support to Roggenfold's ship to Vinland. The banner depicted a raven and a cross. Earl Sigurd, who had recently been baptized by King Olaf Tryggvason, decreed that all Acadians were now Christian. The Earl was one of the most powerful noblemen of in Norwegian constellation. Kings of Norway, since Harold Fairshire, sought the political and military support of the Earls of Orkney because of the island's strategic position in the North Sea. The farmers of Orkney could be counted on to fight for their cause. Below the Earl's banner flew a smaller banner depicting a fortress and a hammer. This was the insignia of the house of John Wark, the fortress keeper, Roggenfold's father. Earl Sigurd had alliances with the Norse of Dublin and the Gales of Scotland. His mother was a descendant of the King of Ireland, and he was married to the King of Scotland's daughter. The Earl had stronger relations in this part of the world than his liege lord, the King of Norway. The throne of Norway was currently under the control of the Danish King. The Earl's ships was a welcome here, and his men continued raiding in the British Isles and in Ireland unchecked by royal authority. Roggenwald and his men were welcome to King Sigtrig's hall. Most of his crew would remain with the ship and return to their farms in Orkney, but a couple would leave the ship in Dublin and be taken on by other ship captains. The King of Dublin was not present, but his steward had many questions about their trip to Vinland. Roggenwald explained, The Earl has plans to build a church dedicated to King Olaf with the wood we are bringing back to Orkney. The settlement on the mainland is growing. People are leaving Norway because of Danish rule and the Earl would like to build more houses for them. The trading vessels that come through Orkney increase every year. And with that, more risk of raids. We will need additional fortifications to keep the Earldoms safe. But surely the Earl could have made more profit from your trip by trading in the East. Trade goods from the East, especially silver, are in high demand, and you are in a good position to acquire them from the Baltic. It is a miracle that your ship made it across the ocean with such a heavy load, replied the steward. The king's ship builder agreed. 
get your wood from us or from Norway. It is not so far to travel. Or better yet, buy your ships from our shipbuilders. Still, I would like to inspect the wood you brought from Vinland to see how it compares to the wood we have here in Ireland. It was difficult for Wogenwald to explain the motivation behind his long and dangerous journey. Perhaps he did have the blood of an explorer in him after all. In the future, perhaps other products could be found in Vinland that would be just as valuable as the wood he carried. It would take more explanation to determine what in this new land could be exploited by Norsemen to their advantage. Roggeveld would not have to exchange the Swoy would not have exchanged the Swoyge for any other trading venture he could have undertaken, and he knew that the wood he brought back from Vinland to Orkney would be welcomed by the Earl. Roggeveld turned to the king's physician, who was sitting at the table listening. We had an incident in Vinland when one of the loggers cut himself badly with his axe. The wound grew red and pus filled, and we thought we had lost him. But out of the woods appeared an elderly woman and a man who offered to treat Akon. We had noticed a few native people observing us from a distance a few days earlier, and then this healer offered to help us. What did she do? asked the physician. He was Celtic and trained at one of Ireland's famous medical schools. His name was Murdoch Macbetha, and he leaned towards Roggenfeld, showing keen interest. She prepared a poultice out of several plants that she had in her pouch, reapplying a new one every day along with a fatty substance that I believe came from seals. She sewed the wound together somehow. I did not witness that procedure. Within three days, Hagen was sitting up and eating. He is back with us here today, thanks to her. She gave me some of these plants that she used. I will show them to you before we leave. It was agreed that they would meet the next morning at the ship. Murdoch appeared, entered the small room in the king's hall that he used for a medical clinic and took the plants and herbs he used to treat wounds off the pocketary shelf. Some were native plants, such as aquatic succulents and blackberries. Murdoch also used willow root and bark from larch and pine trees. Non-native herbs and plants were in his collection also that had been sent to him from medical centers in Italy where he had studied. Murdoch maintained a small herbal garden just outside the door of his clinic. He was curious to compare his plants to those that Roggenvold brought with him from Vinland. Murdoch greeted Roggenvold the following morning as he was making some repairs to the ship. Roggenvold brought out the leather pouch and spread the Vinland plants along the ship's deck for Murdoch to inspect. Roggenvold knew about the medical knowledge and ex extensive training of Irish physicians, and he was interested in what Nur Murdoch had to say. His mother and cousin and other women in his family were known in Orkney as healers, and on a few occasions when he was younger, he helped them collect plants and watched his mother treat those who appeared at the door.
These two plants, said Murdoch, pointing to the plant with the small green leaves and the purple flower plant, were collected uh, and are of interest to me, said Murdoch. Roggenvold replied, they were collected in a bog, while the plant with the red berries came from an area to the north. The poultice was comprised of a combination of these plants, plus others. The old man was also smoking the berry plant in a mixture. I smoked it too and felt a strange but relaxing sensation. Murdoch turned the plants over and crushed some leaves in his palm and smelled and tasted them. This small aquatic plant is similar to the watercress that we use in poultices to stop the redness, said Murdoch. But these other two, the one with the purple flower and the red berry, are quite different. Murdoch split open the long purple flower and felt a sticky substance inside. A dead fly was stuck in the liquid. Hagen was resting on the deck, and Murdoch inspected the axe wound that was almost completely healed. Quite remarkable. This looks like it was a very, very deep cut, said Murdoch. Haken, if you will allow me, I will remove these stitches, as it looks like their work is done. I am curious as to what material the medis woman used to close the wound. After removing the stitches, Murdoch turned to Roggenvall. I will take these plants I crushed and examine the ingredients further, and the next time you are in Dublin, we can talk again. Thank you for showing these to me. Roggenvall was convinced that the plants were a sign of good luck, and they had not only healed Akon, but had protected his ship and crew on the voyage back home. He would ask his mother to dry and preserve the plants. He carefully placed them back in the pouch and put it in his sea chest. He turned his attention towards preparation for the sail through the Irish Sea to Orkney. There could be a confrontation with hostile ships around the Hebrides. He and his men prepared their weapons and placed their shields on the side of the boat as a warning to those who might attack them. The Arcadian towered over most other boats, giving them an advantage in battle. The banner of the Earl of Orkney that they were flying also protected them, for very few would want to become an enemy of the powerful Earl. After three days of sailing, the Arcadian entered the deep harbor of mainland Orkney. The port of mainland had become the hub of Orkney because it was easily defended from attack. The presence of Chapinsay Island in the harbor gave the island its first line of defense. The harbor was surrounded by sea cliffs to the east and north and low-rising hills to the south and west. A low stone wall along the waterfront protected the town from a seaward attack. Several crudely built docks protruded into the harbor where a number of boats were moored. The Earl had plans to reinforce and heighten the sea wall and extend it to the less protected south and west borders of the town. The wood roger vault brought back from Vinland would be used for this purpose. 
As the Arcadian passed by Chabonsay, Roggenveld could see his father's farm with its sprawling house and outbuildings. Livestock were grazing in the fields and servants were harvesting the first crops of wheat and barley. Roggenveld lived with his father, but after this voyage, he planned on building his own house on the property. The rest of the crew had similar thoughts of home as they sailed into the busy port. The ship was greeted with cheers by the townspeople and fishermen working along the shore. Earl Sigurd was a large man. He was sitting at his table with one of his sons and looked up when Roggenwald entered the hall. A successful trip, I have heard, Roggenwald. You and your men are to be congratulated. I saw the Arcadian sailing into the harbor, the finest ship I have. Tell me, what did you think of Finland? What did you bring back to me? We had our choice of very fine trees of all sizes, Roggeveld replied. I am anxious to unload the ship so that you can decide how best to use the wood. I have brought back skins and ivory from Iceland and Greenland as well. There are furs for the taking in Finland, but we did not have time to hunt, but for a few wild game there. I was anxious to get back here by midsummer so that we, we could build the fortifications before the winter. Come and eat and tell me about your voyage. And Roggenwald relayed to him all he observed and experienced on the voyage, the fine weather and the currents and the winds, the seaworthiness of the Arcadian, the state of affairs in Iceland and Greenland and Dublin, the unexpected encounter with the natives in Finland, the future settlement of Finland by the sons of Eric the Red. He did not provide details about the medicinal plants he had collected from the medicine woman. He first wanted to talk to his mother about these. It was almost dark when Roggenwald landed his skip on the beach below his father's farm. He could see the light shining through the windows, and he knew his father and mother would be waiting for him. The dogs barked as he approached, and he saw his mother, Marguerite, open the door to greet him. She took his weathered face in her, her hands and looked at him appraisingly with her dark blue eyes that enfolded him in her arms. We knew you would come back safely to us, and it was not your time to be lost at sea, she said leading them into the brightly lit front room. The house was made of sandstone that was plentiful on the island and framed with timber. A table with chairs stood up, uh, up one took up one third of the long room, while comfortable chairs with cushions stuffed with sheep's wool faced the stone fireplace and ran along that ran along the interior wall. In one of these chairs sat his father, John Work, who stood up, his head almost touching the beam ceiling. Roggenwald removed his oilskin coat, hanging it on the hooks inside the doorway, and placed his boots and gear underneath. John was an imposing figure because of his great height and his large frame. His long, craggy face contained an aquiline nose and piercing blue eyes. He held his long arms out to his son, embracing him and asking him to sit down. His mother hurried through the door, leading to the kitchen, located on the other side of the fireplace, to bring out some refreshments. 
In the doorway appeared Robinson's young sister, Bridget, sleepily smiling at her brother. Bridget was 12 years old and dressed in her night clothes. Nonetheless, she ran to Roggeveld and flung herself in his lap. They both laughed, Roggeveld happy to smell the scents of clean skin and hair and clothing, the scents of home after so many weeks at sea. I have brought back some fine wood from Markland, he said. It is, as the rumors said, a vast land of abundant vegetation and water with a mild climate, even though it is far north. The Greenlanders are talking about settling there. The poorest stretch as far as an eye can see. We identified the straightest and strongest trees for logging, and there were many to choose from. Roggenvall was breathless in his eagerness to share the story with his father, an emotion he did not show to the Earl. We were surprised by the ease of the journey. The sail from Greenland to Villain took a little more than a week. The new land is very close. We were carried back east by a strong current, landing close to the tip of Ireland. Still, I was worried bringing back such a heavy cargo across the open sea. Luckily, it turned out okay, but a storm could have been the end of us. I could envisage many more trips to this new land if the Greenlanders find settlement there hospitable. You have become a true navigator, my son, a man of the sea, not of the land, like me and your brother John, his father said. John was Roggenwald's oldest brother and lived with his own family on a farmstead nearby. He was following in his father's profession, as was the custom of builder and fortress keeper. I imagine Earl Sigurd had some plans for you and your trading ships. He speaks of this often. We will be meeting with his steward in a couple of days to inspect your cargo and discuss plans for fortifications. I am very proud of you, son. Marguerite came into the room with a tray laden with ale, sausage, and bread. The family gathered around the table, their faces shining with happiness. Mother, I have brought something back for you as well, Roggeval said. Marguerite looked surprised. I met a wo medicine woman in Vinland who treated one of our seamen who had injured, him, injured himself with this axe. We did not think he would make it, but this woman brought plants to our camp, making a poultice for the wound, and within three days, Hagen was sitting up and eating. It was remarkable. Marguerite looked astonished by this news. I showed these plants to King Silverbeard's physician, and he's going to examine them further for me. Roggenwald continued, these plants will be of great value to us. I just know it. Just then, the front door burst open, and in came Roggeveld's other brother, Erland. Erland was John and Margaret's second son, still living at home, but employed by the Earl's steward, assisting him in accounting for the Earl's properties and collecting payments from the Earl's tenants. He spent most of his time on mainland, sleeping in a small room in one of the Earl's buildings. He saw the Arcadian at the dock on his way back from collecting trip to the south coast of the island and learned that Roggenwald left mainland for Chapinsay. Brother, you are here. 
God has kept you alive and well, and from what I hear, you have brought back precious cargo from the West. I have prayed for you and your crew every night. My prayers have been answered. He threw himself into Roggenfeld's arms. Erlen was smaller in stature than Roggenfeld and his father, taking after his mother's side of the family. He had become a very committed person of faith the faith that the Earl and all of the Arcadians had converted to, Christianity. He was saving his money so that he could travel eastward to the Holy Roman Empire, or to even Rome itself, the seat of the Christian church. Bridget jumped up and down joyously, seeing Erland, who was a wonderful storyteller. When he came home, he would relay to her sagas and tales that he had heard in the Earl's Hall. There were, these were mostly of the famous Norwegian kings and the nobility. Lately, he had stories of the first settlers who'd gone to Iceland. The steward showed him a book made of sheepskin that had come into the Earl's possession containing elegant writing and illustrations illuminated in red and gold. The book was said to be the Holy Scripture, as dictated by Jesus Christ himself. After seeing this book, Erlen was determined to learn how to read and write Latin, this, and to learn more about the faith that he had enthusiastically adopted was his motivation for traveling eastward. We are indeed a blessed family, Erlen said John. He was not too sure which God to thank for this good fortune. We are blessed to be living in a peaceful time, as the Earl promised to all of us when his father Earl Holdfer died. We are able to build houses, to reap the fruitfulness of our farmlands, and to know that when some of us make long sea journeys, this family will be safe upon our return. Long live Earl Sigurd and the prosperity of Orkney. They all raised their cups and continued talking far into the night. The next morning, Roggenwald sat in the kitchen with his mother and his sister, the servants cooking and cleaning around them, and showed them the plants that he had been given. His mother looked at them closely, especially curious about the purple flower plant that was now faded and shriveled. Like Murdoch Macbetha, she crossed a few of the leaves, smelling and tasting them. I will dry them in the barn. Let me try using some of them in the next poultice I prepare to see the effects. I agree with you. These plants may have a special protective flower. I believe that you should take some on your future sea voyages. I will put some leaves and an amulet for you to wear. Roggenwald was pleased with her response. Roggenwald returned to mainland in the afternoon to discuss the cargo with Earl Sigurd Stewart. Both his father and his brother John were present. Roggenwald's men unloaded the timber at the northern end of the bay. It was decided to extend the existing wall at this end and create a stone enclosure that could be used as a warehouse for the lumber and other trade goods. Plans were drawn up, the additional fortifications and the warehouse, and some of the neighboring farmers on mainland and Shapensea were 
available to carry out the construction. The stewards selected some timber for expanding the Earl's Hall and the new chapel, the first Christian one in this settlement that would be built beside the hall. It would be a small structure to begin with, but with space to expand in the future. You have done us a great service for bringing back this excellent timber, said the steward. We will build a town of consequence here that will be familiar to everyone in the northern seas. He said that the Earl was clearly excited by the prospect of establishing a permanent and thriving community in Orkney. The chapel next to the Earl's Hall was completed by Christmastide. Priests from Norway officiated at the Christian celebration of Christ's birth, one of the first Christian feast day celebrations in Orkney. Roggenball and his two brothers spent the winter collecting sandstone for his new home that would be built over the following summer. Roggenball would be sailing to Iceland as soon as the weather broke. He would then travel to Dublin, the Isle of Man, and the Hebrides on his way back to Orkney. Over the July harvest, he would sail to western Norway to collect more goods. Two summers after his Finland voyage, Roggenwald married an Icelandic woman, Agnes Forbjorn daughter, the daughter of a prosperous farmer and blacksmith in Borbjörn. Roggenwald visited this part of Iceland the previous summer, meeting his trading ship and crew in the port of Stiksalmar. He knew that there were many wealthy settlers in this area. He stayed at Skallagrimmer, the farm neighboring the one owned by Agnes's father, much longer than he intended, enjoying the early Icelandic summer. He returned the following summer to marry Agnes and to take her back to Orkney and his new home. Life changed in Orkney when the Earl was killed fighting for King Sigurd in Ireland. The Earl supported the King of Dublin in his battle against King Brian Baru, who felt that the King of Dublin stood in the way of, being, of him being titular head King of Ireland. The Battle of Clontarf in a bay just north of Dublin ended with the death of both Earl Sigurd and King Brian, along with 8,000 men. Roggenwald and his brother John watched in horror from the ship as their Earl and his men were slaughtered. The era of peace and stability for Orkney and its territories was over. Sigurd's two sons, Earl Einar and Earl Brucey, and later Earl Thorfinn, divided Orkney between them and continually fought each other to maintain and expand their control. During this time, a new claimant to Norway's throne emerged, Olaf Haraldsson, a descendant of King Harald Fairhair. King Olaf gave up his rating, he converted to Christianity, and declared his intention to drive the Danes out of Norway and unite Norway under his rule, a rule that would extend to Orkney, the Hebrides, and the Kingdom of Man.